Well, this morning uh, we're going to talk a little bit about relationships and, you know, more specifically marriage. Um, and I just want to, you know, talk a little bit about some different things with you this morning. Pastor Gary, he told me a while back to, to preach on things I'm good at. And it's, it sounds and feels arrogant to get up here and go, well, I'm really good at marriage. And I, and I just want you to know that where this message is coming from today, if it, if it hits you sideways a little bit, this isn't for anything in the past. This is about making a better future. And I know things happen and life happens, and this isn't a, an ugly judgment message today, although it may seem that way. It's a message of hope. Like that song talks about, the, the, the one that, we, that was um, before the blessing, the, the Jesus song about how that there's hope because he's there. He's there in your darkness when you're alone, when, when you're struggling. It all goes back to him. And uh, that's what I want to talk to you about today. And, this, and it's actually kind of a perfect picture because I had a message put together. I wrote a message, um, oh, weeks and weeks ago. Pastor Gary asked me to do a message on marriage. And I had this message all put together and, you know, the, what I do, what I did was I went to the traditional thing. You go to Ephesians or Colossians, and it's all about, you know, the man has a role and the woman has a role, and this is how you treat the kids, and, you know, and then you treat each other a certain way. And I talked to my, my wife about it, and it's actually a perfect picture of the mar- message today. And she said, that's what everybody does. Everyone uses that scripture. Everybody talks about that. And a lot of people just start tuning you out because, A, they've heard it before, and, B, no one wants to hear about submitting. (laughs) And I said, you're right. Which is, by the way, guys, a picture of me submitting to my wife, right? (laughs) Which I'm supposed to do. That's what Paul said at the end of that. We don't don't always get that far. We tune everything out before we get to that part in those scriptures that you submit to one another. So it tends to work out. But today I'm going to, we're going to talk about three choices in relationships. And uh, I'm sure there's more. And I'm sure, you know, you, you folks and people out here are, are in, in between some of them. They're not all like black and white. I'm sure there's lots of gray area. But I'd be up here all day and none of you want that, I'm sure. So we're going to talk about three options today in relationships. And you can apply this to relationships, but more specifically about marriage. In our relationships, whether it be marriage, family, friendships, we have three choices. To be fulfilled in that relationship, to be stagnant, or to be separated. To be stagnant is just as bad because it's on the way to to, to some form of separation. You may live under the same roof, but over time, you're not talking as much. You start living separate lives, having separate friends, and you're married only in name only because it's the right thing to do. So that's just as dangerous as uh, being uh, separated, in my opinion. But none of us enter into a marriage hoping for it to be stagnant or for it to end in separation, but it does happen for a number of reasons. And everyone in this room knows all the kinds of different scenarios that happen in a relationship that can cause these problems. But what can I do? What can you do today? We can do our part. See, marriages, uh, Pastor, I've heard Pastor Gary talk about it, it's 100-100. You both have to put 100% in for a marriage to be completely a fulfilling, full marriage. You both have to work at it. 
But you can only do what you can do. You can't do what your significant other, you can't control what they do, you can't control what they say, but you can do your part. And you can be the Christ in the family because we're Christians, right? So we're supposed to be Christ-like. And sometimes we lose view of what that looks like. So let's talk about it today. We're going to do it God's way, not our way. Because God invented marriage. Back in the Garden of Eden, He made Adam first, gave him responsibilities. And I'm, and it's just conjecture on my part, but I'm kind of convinced that He made Adam first and let him be alone with a bunch of animals for a while. And there were angels and stuff like that and beings and stuff. It was, it was in the Garden of Eden. God walked with Adam. But I think He wanted him to get lonely before He introduced to him the best thing in His world, Eve. He created marriage. He wanted that union between His image bearers to be a beautiful picture of what our relationship as the church is going to be with His Son someday, with Jesus Christ. But many people want to reinvent it and do things their way. And when I say that, we tend to think marriage is about like whatever Hollywood portrays or some romance novel. Or whatever fantasy we develop in our hearts and in our heads. And sometimes that stuff looks really good. And sometimes it actually can come to fruition for a while. But when you start getting into 20, 30 years of marriage, the notebook probably isn't a reality anymore, right? So we have to look at what God planned and what He wanted. Because He was looking at longevity. He was looking at forever or till death do you part. So let's start from the bottom of the list today. We're not going to start from the top. We'll start from the bottom. We're going to talk about separation first because I want to leave with hope today. Marriage often heads off a cliff because of one single thought. And it's poison. I'm not going to do my part if they're not going to do theirs. I'm going to wait until they start doing right and then I'm going to do right. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't matter if it's money, raising kids, Or just the day-to-day things that drive you nuts about the partner you have in your life. Because we all have things. I've said it before, I think. you got a bumper sticker on my truck that says, Jesus loves you and I'm working on it. Smaller print on the bottom. I'm working on it. Because we can be difficult. It's a perfect week for me to give this message. My poor wife had to endure this last week with me laying down vinyl flooring at the house. I am not the most patient human being when it comes to manual labor tasks. And I started breaking the planks really early on. And she took over. But she never ever was ugly about it. She never screamed at me. She just gently took over. And she laid 99% of that floor by hand herself while I walked around frustrated making little cuts. So she's a, when, when Pastor Gary told me, you know, do things you're good at and I want you to preach about marriage, doing this lesson, writing it down and going over it like this, and then my life experience this week, I realized that I'm good at marriage because of my wife. If I had a different wife at home that wasn't as supporting and as loving as she is, that wasn't as patient and tolerant as she is for me and my childish you know, reactions to things sometimes, 
I'd be a different person too, right? I'd react different. If it wasn't initially kindness, maybe I wouldn't react with kindness. But she took the lead this week. She was the head of the house this week. We trade off really, really well. We listen to each other. We work together. And that's, you know, um, I know that's why my wife and I have the relationship we have is because we respect each other. We listen to each other. And we don't ever go, well, if they're going to act that way, I'm not. I'm not doing my part. I'm going to double it up. I'm going to be worse. Or I'm going to, you know, eye for an eye because we love to throw Scripture around sometimes, right? But separation... Don't forget to look at yourself because maybe you're the one driving them nuts. My wife had full rights to, to ring me out this week because, again, it did, wasn't necessary for me to react the way I reacted. But we're putting this floor in and I'm breaking edges and I'm just like ready to give up. I'm, I'm losing my mind because it's not going the way I want. But cooler heads prevail and they always do. Sometimes we just fight and fight and say, I'm tired. Sometimes we, we, we um, eventually, can, th- that thought process can actually lead to thinking, the grass is greener on the other side, I want to be single again. Now this is the poison. I want to live a life of peace. I can tell you the person you're with today has more depth, more love, even if, you, if, even if you're struggling today, struggling and you're, 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 you're almost to the end of your rope, that person you're with today has more depth, more love, more history with you, more things than a million one-night stands or new relationships can give you. It's up to us to find those things again because there was something there, however many times years ago, that drew you to that person and you would have burnt the world to the ground for that person. We have to find it again. But being tired and frustrated and finding yourself making a bad decision in the middle of a spiritual battle, because that's what this is. This isn't a relationship thing only. This isn't a personality difference. This is you being attacked by the devil himself or one of his minions. Because the devil wants your marriage to go up in flames. There's absolutely no doubt about that. You hear all the time, marriage is a cornerstone of our society. Marriage is a cornerstone of our church. And without marriage, everything falls apart. He wants it because he, wants, he has a better shot at you, your future or current ex, your children, and anybody that's watching. Especially if you're a proclaimed Christian. Because if you're a Christian and you go ahead and just let it all come, to, come apart, and I'm not saying let, like you just let it go, but you, you, know, you don't keep that fight and you don't stand for your marriage and do what it takes, even if it's one-sided, the world looks and goes, well, they're no different than anybody else. See? I'm right, they're wrong. There's no Jesus. Or if he was, he was just a smart guy who said really neat rhymes. Do your part differently, because the part you're doing maybe isn't the right way to do it. If it's not working, you have to decide to love as you once did. Before all the trouble started in your relationship, before your schedule got so busy, you didn't have time for one another. Everybody remember when the hurricane happened and you didn't have power? How much time did you have on your hands? I had profound wisdom and your mom is going to want to kill me for this, but Adam Heeg, who works with us at the office, 
he said to me, he came into the office. I'm like, oh, I mean, I'm swamped and I'm trying to catch up. And he goes, half of what you do is not that important. And I looked at him and he goes, it's been a month. No one's died. He's like, don't worry about it. And that's when it dawned on me. It's like during the hurricane, it was like a process just to boil water and to think about your meal and to do things. And it was actually kind of great. There was something about it that was kind of great. And the schedule and all these things didn't matter. And the world didn't stop turning. So if you're in a relationship today and you find your schedule is getting in the way of making it right, slam on the brakes. Change your schedule. Say no to friends. Say no to any kind of things that you've had to set yourself up for just to keep yourself busy. Because sometimes we do that just to stay away from home and come home with a humble heart and a desire to fix things. And get your head back to where you first started. Make the right choice. Choose God's way and not your way. So let's see what James said about a difficult relationship. I picked this scripture because, as I said, my wife's advice about not using the same tried and true, it's amazing scripture, but something different today. And this is more generalized for relationships. And I love how he starts. Who among you is wise and understanding? With a question mark. Any of you smart enough? This is James, by the way, brother of Jesus, who doubted Jesus. So this guy knows what it is to kind of put your foot in your mouth, if you know what I'm saying. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Gentleness of wisdom. Sometimes when we're right and we know we're right, we're not very gentle. We tend to rub people's noses in it, don't we? But if we have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So those things, being bitterly jealous, having ambition to be right, and it's, if it's in your heart, it, make, it makes you arrogant and it makes you untruthful, even if you're right. This wisdom is not from which comes down, is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. So if your thought process is this way, it's not from God. Even though if you can quote scripture to back it up, because we can find and cherry pick stuff to back up our background all that we want, make our point all we want. But if, if that kind of mindset is where you're, where you are, it's of the devil, James says. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is discord and, in every, and every evil thing. So if you're putting yourself first, your needs first in a relationship, that's disorder and an, an evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure. And here we go. It sounds like the, the uh, fruits of the Spirit quite a bit. Then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Again, my wife was kind, patient, loving to me this week, and the floor got done. And we're still married, and we're still overwhelmingly blessed, and that we had no moments. I mean, I didn't. Maybe she almost did, but I, I didn't because of her way of reacting to me with such kindness, with such gentleness, 
having wisdom from above. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Blessed be the peacemakers, for they shall find peace. If you're going to choose to be a peacemaker in your home, it may not be right away. It may, not, it may take forever. It may not come. But God promises that you will have peace. It may not be the kind of peace that you were originally looking for. But you'll have peace of spirit if you're a peacemaker in your home. Proverbs says, The beginning of strife is like the letting out of water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Wise words. It's like breaking a dam. It's like those, when you've seen a dam break, I don't know if you've ever seen any of these things online when water flows into a town. Whether it's a tsunami, a dam break, whatever it is, everything is wiped out. You also saw you know, Fort Myers area when, when Ian rolled through. That wall of water came in and, and pushed everything over. Water is a force that cannot be reckoned with, cannot be redirected when it's coming at you in such power. And that's what these, the, these fights become. The dam will crack and, uh uh-oh, you know what happens next. It starts with a little tiny irritation here and there. And then you start to see the cracks. And, you know, you remember the story of the little Dutch boy. He'd stick his finger, you know, he'd try to stop it. But if no one's even trying to stop it, all it takes is a little sigh or a sideways look. And then the dam breaks. And here comes that water. Here comes that emotion. Here comes the anger. Here comes the frustration over everything maybe that you haven't spoken about. That you've been putting off in a conversation. And it just comes pouring out. And honestly, and, and, and ladies, we're, I'm sorry for all of us guys, but the truth is, is like we can be so ignorant to stuff sometimes from a, from a guy's perspective. And when, if the torrent does come, we have no idea where it came from. We are genuinely perplexed because we need things fed to us in baby bites. We do. There's no, I mean, my, my guilt in a, in, a, in a relationship as far as dealing with issues is I don't talk about anything. And I'm blessed with a woman who's patient, kind, loving, and a talker. And she will gently ask questions and prod and tell me things if things are bothering her. She doesn't let it build up, build up, build up, and then attack me for something. That has nothing to do with why she's angry. She, she, she's so kind, she's so loving, and she takes care of my heart that way because I'm oblivious half the time. And we just need to learn each other and work with each other. But to start the healing process, we have to choose the right option in this scenario. When that dam's about to break, and if you're in that spot where you're going to lose your mind, you have to choose to be patient, to be kind, to not arrogant, and not argumentative. It's hard. But if we give more compliments and less criticisms, let's see how things change in the relationship. And honestly, if someone's doing that, be aware of enough of it to accept it and reciprocate it. Because there's nothing harder than trying to change a relationship than it being one-sided. It gives you a sense of hopelessness and will actually make things probably worse in the long run. 
So if you're in a relationship today and you go home and all of a sudden you start to realize there's a little change in your spouse and you think, oh, it'll be over by midweek because, you know, that's just what always happens. Kill that thought in your mind. Jump on that train and, and reciprocate it. Love back. Go out of your way. Be gross about it. Okay? Be overwhelmingly... Oh, just put, a, put aside the passive stuff and make today the day you choose to set your course differently in your relationship. All of this takes a tremendous amount of sacrifice. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But sacrifice will stop the problem before it starts. It doesn't mean that there's still not that there still isn't a disagreement. It doesn't mean that you're going to always be unified from this day forward. It doesn't mean that your feelings don't matter. You'll have a chance to voice your words, to voice your hurt. But don't do it in the moment of anger. When you want to explode and call names and do things that are hurtful that you cannot take back. You pump the brakes. You keep your mouth closed. And when you have the ability to control your words, to control your face, your eyes, your tone, you come back to the subject and to go, listen, I don't want to bring up an ugly thing, but... And you talk about it. But at that moment, you can blow things up and make things worse. You, you, you didn't have to have that moment of chaos and wounding each other in a marriage. I've seen it before. People say things to each other and... It just cuts to the bone. It damages the relationship. And, and words are hard to forget sometimes. But we also have, again in Proverbs, keeping away from strife is an honor for a man because any man can quarrel. Any fool. A fool can fight. can argue about anything. So you can't control the mouth of another person, but you definitely can control your own. I'm not out of the... Uh, to, be, to have the mindset that I am not out of this marriage, but I'm out of the argument. It can be a key change in your relationship. Because it po doesn't postpone it forever, but ugly things don't have to be said. It can be replaced with those kind, peaceful, patient things. Still getting your point across, but without causing the hurt. So the second option is stagnation. I always have trouble pronouncing that word. I actually had to Google it to make sure I was saying it right. So th that word means it's a lack of activity, growth, or development. It's poison to a relationship. When you first get into a relationship, everything's fresh and new and you're excited about it and you can't wait to be together. And then when you, you know, time passes, that feeling can fade if you aren't purposefully choosing to keep it going. So this is another issue in marriage that can kill it, but it kills it slowly over many, many years. How do I enjoy my marriage? Because there's no enjoying that. There's no enjoying a marriage that is just dead in the water. But how do I enjoy my marriage if I don't get along with my spouse? If I don't feel the way I once did? Because feelings change, right? 
You feel like I'm falling out of love. You feel like I'm not attracted to this person anymore. This is a really tough pill to swallow for everybody. But you have to view yourself as the problem. You have to take responsibility, again, not for your spouse's actions, but for your actions. The person you married may not look the same, act the same, or even have the same interests that they once did. It's called growing older. Things change, right? But you don't either. Don't forget that part. You're not the same person. Just yesterday, uh, my mother gave me a stack of old pictures the other day. And I showed them to my wife, and there was a picture that popped up where it was the two of us. And, no, excuse me, that's a different story. Let me back it up. <laughs> Facebook memory it was. Facebook memory popped up, and it was seven years ago, and we were preparing for our granddaughter to, to, to come. And on my birthday, my, my daughter gave, a, gave me like a survival, like a grandpa survival pack with diapers, face masks, gloves, you know, just all these different things for diaper changing, because that was my future, it was diaper changing. And when I looked at that picture, the first thing I thought was, Man, I was skinny. And then Donna goes, wow, you were thin there. And I know. And I thought, and my first thought was, my poor wife. I know she loves me and she's gonna, she doesn't like me beating up on myself like this, but it's the truth. It's like, I, I fluctuate like from 260 and I've been down to like 170 in the past. And it's just this fluctuation. And she's had to endure all of it. And my, my attitude towards movies and towards reading and towards entertainment have changed. I can barely sit through a show anymore. And it may be frustrating. It may be annoying. And I know these are like little things, but little things can add up to big things if you're not careful. But we all change, and we, that's why we have to recognize those things. So there's two ways to look at it. I'm going to choose to fight for my marriage or I'm going not to. And if you fight for it, you may be the only one fighting, but at least you're going down swinging. And if you're not fighting for it, you're choosing for your marriage to fail. At one level or another, it will fail. You may do the whole death do you part, but you're going to be miserable in it. Enduring day after day, week after week, with somebody who you can barely tolerate because you don't even know who they are anymore. So I'm going to choose to find the old spark, no matter how dim it is. That's the choice. Start flipping through old pictures, and, and, and you might look at it and go, wow, they've changed so much, I don't even know who they are anymore. That's okay, because that person is still there. I'm still the same me. I have different tastes, different hobbies now, different interests. My love for this woman hasn't changed. She still lights my fire. She's still the, the light of my life. I wake up every day grateful that God gave me my wife. All the good things, all of the good things in my life came from the Lord above. He gave me her, but everything that's good, my children, my grandchildren, sprout from this person sitting here in the front row. And no matter how much I change or she changes, I'm going to love her till the day I die. 
Not to the day she dies, to the day that I die. And in heaven, I'm going to love everybody. It gets easier, I hope. So, I'm going to choose to be interested in some of my spouse's interests and be happy because they are happy. It's called not being selfish. Not being a narcissist. Only I matter. I don't know why they don't want to do things I want to do. When was the last thing you did something you absolutely don't want to do? Do stuff you don't want to do because it makes them happy. When you were dating, you would probably go endure anything for that person and, and, and actually be able to fake it pretty well that you're having the best time of your life. Do it again. Make them happy. It's a give and take. So hopefully over time, the effort will be reciprocated from the example and the effort that you make. But the truth is, it may not. And if they don't, if people don't try along with you, as a follower of Christ, you have to understand that the enjoyment of your marriage is important, but it's not the only purpose of your marriage. Once you've made these vows before God, family, friends, you've made a vow, you've made a covenant and we just obviously understand that people don't go into marriage thinking, I hope this hurts. And a little side note here, if you're not married, this is a good reason to take your time, choose the right spouse, vet them. Make them, you, you spend enough time with people, you, you know them well enough, let them, let them show your, their side. And when I say their side, the side that they don't want you to see. Take your time if you're not a married person today. Don't jump into anything because you feel like that's the only one ever. It's not. Let the Lord guide your heart. Make sure without a shadow of a doubt that they love the Lord. And when, you, when they talk, and get into that scripture with them. I know it sounds weird if you're a young person here today, but get into that scripture and ask them, what does that mean to you that I'm obedient to you? And ask them if they understand what the whole part about them treating you, I'm talking to the young ladies in the room, treating you how Christ died for the church. Ask them these questions. This is, for, this is a long time on this planet. Make a good decision. But back to the message. We think my marriage is between me and my spouse. Everyone else can stay out of it. We're making our own decisions. But nope, that's not true. There's a crucial aspect of the biblical Christian marriage that are not present in most modern-day marriages. There's a third, and without a doubt, the most important presence in your marriage, and that is, of course, God. When you get married, it's all in the Scripture before God. Before God, God gave us the, the basic fundamentals. He invented marriage. And He presides above your marriage as the ultimate purpose of your marriage. How? Well, he told Adam and Eve to go forth, take care, you know, to dominate the world, reproduce. There's all of that part of marriage, the natural part. But even with all of its warts and wrinkles, God can be glorified through your marriage. Honestly, if you're in this room today and you're struggling and you're like, like I said, at the end of your rope and you're ready to give up on your marriage and you can find a redemptive hope and grow your marriage back to something powerful that can be a testimony... Can you imagine how that can change someone's life? Somebody else that's going to be struggling the same way you are? Because you're not alone. Most, I mean, that was a 47% of marriages end in divorce now. 
But you can be an example if you're willing to put that fight because you as a Christian should believe that Jesus is Lord over everything. Not just a ticket to heaven. It doesn't stop there. Jesus is Lord over every aspect of your life, whether you like it or not as a Christian. And you will answer for it someday if you don't put Him first. I'm not saying you have to do this to get to heaven. Heaven is because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on Calvary's cross, and because of your faith in Him and your trust in Him, you go to heaven because of what He did. Not because of how good of a husband or a wife you are, but I'm confident that you have an opportunity to be a light on a hill, salt of the earth, to be all those things we're asked to be, and our marriages are part of it. How many here have been been, um, witness to seeing family and friends where a marriage dissolves and you couldn't believe it. It's happened to me. I couldn't believe it. Numerous times. And it makes you question everything. We can be different. We can put up that fight. So when you bring that into your marriage, when you put Jesus first and you make it the foundation, this changes your perspective. If you are dissatisfied with your marriage, ask... How does Jesus tell me to handle this situation? It changes everything. It'll change your look and it'll change your heart. Because if you can follow this and really submit to the Lord, it'll give you purpose, even in the pain if your marriage is not going as you'd like. To sum up, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil, or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. It's easy to love people that are lovable. We're called to love the unlovable. We're called to sacrifice ourselves for others because that's what Jesus did, right? And if we don't, we're no different than the rest of the world. And I'm sorry, and I can't imagine... How hard it is to be in a, in a loveless marriage, a hurtful marriage. And I know under circumstance am I saying, like, take the abuse, take the beatings. I'm not saying that by any means. This is not that message. This is when you just feel like you're growing apart. And you're starting to trade ugly barbs and say things to each other. We're not called to do that. We're called to be different. So we can inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. This is to the church. Okay, this isn't a marriage situation they're talking here, but this works for a marriage, yeah? He or you or I must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. It doesn't peace doesn't come to you. You got to chase it down and grab hold of it. Bite it if you have to. You've got to do whatever it is to subdue that and get that back into your life. It's not your spouse's job if you guys are having a struggle. It's your job to do it. And then, Lord willing, they'll follow. Talk with them. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. See, now, he, he loves this. He loves it when we do these things. And his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Don't expect Him to be in your marriage if you're not doing your part. It says that harmonious, harmonious, 
harmonious, that's a weird word, uh, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. That's the recipe for a healthy marriage. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, the folks that do that. His eyes are on them. He's listening to their prayers. This is how we finally get to the fulfilled part of the marriage. Actually doing pretty good on time. What, am I? Maybe. No, I'm actually running way behind. Okay, let me roll on this. Sorry. So fulfilled. You can get to the heart. You, uh, I have to slow down. Otherwise I'll say it all wrong. Can you get your heart to a point where you look beyond your spouse and beyond yourself and look up to heaven and say, I want to make... You please, with the way I live my life in my marriage. Don't think about it this way, that I won't do my part if they don't do theirs. Take responsibility for your part. Remember that God is the ultimate factor in your marriage. And our example is Christ. We're to emulate Him. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Sacrifice and you gain. And because of His love for us and the shedding of His blood, all the excuses we have to dishonor our spouse, they all get washed away when we see Jesus Christ on the cross crying out, Father, forgive them. Can you imagine being nailed to a piece of wood and looking down at the people laughing at you, mocking you, holding the spear they're about to stab you with, and go, forgive them, Lord. And we can't do that for the person that we swore to love, honor, protect until death do us part. We have to make a choice to be Christ-like or not to be Christ-like in our marriage till death do us part. Love, the, the word agape and respect are key to keeping the vows you've made before God, family, and friends. And by the way, I, I, I'm running out of time, but I just, want to, I just want to say that word agape that word love, it's, there's four different versions of love in the Greek. And that word is the same one that you see in Ephesians, in Colossians, you know, when it says husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's the same word that's found in John 3.16 where, for God so loved the word, world. When you look at that word and that specific meaning of that word agape, it's a charitable love. Pastor Gary talked about it. It's not... Hollywood, romance, Cinderella love. It's, I'm going to love you because it's the right thing to do kind of love. I'm going to love you because that's what I'm here to do kind of love. I'm going to love you because maybe no one else will kind of love. That's the kind of love God gave us. Was anybody else going to die for our sins? No! Is anybody else going to love your spouse the way you can? Never! So our example of how to live is Christ. Christ always and in everything. Hebrews 12.2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross despite the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That Greek word fix means to direct one's eyes attention without distraction, being focused. You're zeroed in on it. Focus on Jesus. 
Use his example and run your race with endurance, the race that he has set before you. You're in this marriage for a reason. You have three choices, and I, and I pray you make the right one.